Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello there and welcome to Better at Work. On this episode, I am joined by Amy Jensu. Amy is the author of The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day. The book is a fantastic practical guide for all leaders to bring their best selves to life both at work and at home. And that's why I really wanted Amy on because that's really the crux of this book. It's not just uh, at work, it's at home as well. Now, Amy is co-founder as well and managing partner of Paravis Partners, a leading executive coaching and leadership development firm for almost two decades. You don't look old enough, Amy. Amy has partnered with CEOs and executives to sustain and increase their leadership effectiveness as they drive organizational change and transformation. Amy, so delighted you have joined us. Welcome to Better at Work. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. And I love your mission and thought that when work is better, life is better. And so I'm super excited to be here to have this conversation with you. Where did this all start for you? Why did you become so interested in leadership development? It's such a great question. I think if we were to have my mom on the show with us here, she would tell you for as long as she could remember. She has seen me walking around with a phone connected to my head, listening to friends' problems, being everyone's counselor, being so interested in people's lives and what makes them tick and really wanting to be there for folks. And I think as now, you know, I turned 51 a few weeks ago, years and years later, here I am still loving, connecting with people. What was your core aim in writing this fantastic book, The Leader You Want to Be? I think The Leader You Want to Be was really came at a point where it felt like it was time to lift up and synthesize and step back from all the leaders that I was working with. I felt like for years I was hearing from folks, wow, there's never enough hours in a day. I feel Mm -hmm. burnt out. I feel overwhelmed. You know, how do I be who I'm meant to be, make the impact I'm meant to make without all this sacrifice to myself, my family, my loved ones, my health? And so I think this question kept coming up and it made me pause and say, gosh, if I looked across everyone, I have the good fortune of working with. What are those principles that when our outer game changes, when we're driving change and the role gets bigger, when our life becomes more complicated, what are some key tenants and guiding principles we can anchor back in to reset ourselves, redefine, disrupt ourselves, if you will, and realign to what we need to do next? You say as leaders, we all have a either a leader A or a leader B mode. I loved this in the book. And often over the years, I go, oh, damn it, I've gone into leader B mode. But can (laughs) you tell us a little bit more on what you meant by leader A and leader B? 
And it's funny, in some ways, the book is autobiographical right? in terms of my own everyday teeter-totter of best self and not my best self and my reactive self. And really, that's the intention of Leader A. How much awareness and compassion can we bring to this human experience where some mornings, for whatever reason, you wake up and you just feel like your best self, you're going with the flow, you're holding a broader perspective, things don't feel quite as personal. And no matter what challenge or setback is thrown your way, somehow our response to that moment is constructive, authentic, and effective, right? And then we all wake up some mornings where we just are in full-blown leader B mode, where we're coping, we're down a slippery slope, we know we're not our best selves, and suddenly our reaction to things is far more knee-jerk, less constructive, and really sometimes it's those moments after the fact where you say, oh darn, why did I do that? Or why did I say that, right? Oh, well, I mean, Leader B, I think for me, came out way worse during COVID because it was just like, felt like you were on endless Zoom calls all day. In the book, another part that I absolutely loved, there's a whole piece on the pitfall of doing. Can you explain the pitfalls of doing? Really, it begins as a coping strategy. You know, we all have stress, the workload gets high, and as we're coping, we start to fall down a slippery slope, and we can end up in one of four places. You know, the feeling of, if I just do more, I somehow just keep adding activity and volume, I'll be okay, which is a faulty assumption. Or I just need to do it now. We get into firefighting drill mode, and suddenly urgency becomes emergency, and we end up in that frequency. It's almost like we can't break that cycle or that sprint. And a sprint becomes a pace that's unsustainable. Or just do it myself. This is probably the one I would say, I, if you ask the Paribus team, the minute stress hits, somehow I want to take back all the batons and say, I can do this faster and better when really I'm just trying to control my own anxiety. And I think it's, you know, all on me and I have to just do it myself. And then the final pitfall, just do it later. You know, somehow we believe that we'll finally get to exercise. We'll finally get to taking care of ourselves and we'll just do that important thing later. With a lot of compassion and awareness, when I wrote that chapter, it was really just to say, well, we all fall there. And with how much awareness can we gently bring ourselves back and out of that cycle? Yeah, it was a real eye opener to me when I saw that. And I think my pitfall of doing gets worse at certain times. Like you mentioned, if it's really busy, as you said there, sometimes when I work for certain types of people, if they're perfectionist, uh, then I think yes. I go into more pitfall of doing. I'm like, oh, I've got to really take this over now because I've got to make sure it's really right. And actually, that doesn't necessarily motivate your team then either as well, which is kind of a I think a downside of the pitfall of doing, it's the impact on your people. I think 100% you've really nailed it there, right? Not only do we need to be aware of our pitfall of doing, but then what's that ripple effect, right? If you're doing it all yourself, what's the impact to your team? If your thesis is, let's all just keep doing more with no pacing, no sequencing, no prioritization, then suddenly a whole team gets bogged down in that. And then at a corporate level, enterprise level, then a whole function or capability can get clogged simply because the leader at the top, you know, has adopted this operating norm that really impacts everybody. I have seen it so many times, Amy, you know, it, it does come downstream when the person at the top 
is in that pitfall of doing because then it's like a domino effect. Everyone is like going, oh God, I better get into this as well. People just copy what they see, right? So yeah, that that for me, the pitfall of doing is just so fantastic. I, I loved it. It was such an aha moment for me or, uh, when I first read it in the book. Now, let's get into the key part of the book, which is the five leadership elements, which is purpose, process, people, presence and peace. Let's start with purpose, Amy. Why did you make this your first P? Purpose is such a, you know, it does come from the inside out. And I do think at the highest order, each of us spend a lifetime trying to discover and uncover what was I made for? What is this rich alchemy of strengths and gifts and talents and interests that I can bring forth and express into the world? And I think where people go wrong with purpose is they think there's some one answer that should be this eureka moment when really it's something that expresses and changes and manifests just differently. Where you were 10 years ago, how you were expressing that rich alchemy of gifts and expressions probably looks different than today. But if we really unpacked it, there's still some on-brand, uniquely you, wonderful set of gifts that exist there. And so that first chapter for me really set the tone for how do we each as leaders and people stay true to this North Star? How do we recognize that it's both constant and dynamic? And then what's a practical, methodical way to actually track it so that we can then prioritize our time? I recently spoke to Floyd Woodrow, who was on the, my podcast as well, and he talks a lot about purpose and, and he calls it the compass for life. And I think you've mentioned that as well in the past, you know, having that compass. I'm really glad you started with uh, purpose because I think a lot of people get caught up in the wrong careers at times and then they go, what? I'm just not connected. This isn't my purpose, which which absolutely I think happens for a lot of people. And it's very sad when they find that out too late in life, maybe. Or, And even though I say that in some ways, Amy, is it ever too late? You know, people change and do things, do their passions at 80 years of age. So, you know, I think it's great you started with that. Now, the, the, the second P, which is process, you say process is critical. So we stay in the driver's seat to protect time and energy and be the best version of ourselves. Can you tell us a little bit more? Process followed purpose because it's easy to stay at the 50,000 foot level. Right. So if you take purpose and you say, my purpose is some function of my value add and contribution and my passion at any given moment in time, that's really high level. So how do we bring that to the ground? How do you then create a structure and a set of processes and a set of rituals that allow you to then achieve that? So mm. it was very intentional, actually, to put process after purpose, because I've seen too many people get excited. They have the big idea. They want to launch a new initiative. And then suddenly you go, okay, now we do kind of need to look at resources and infrastructure and pacing and sequencing. And whether that's at the enterprise level, a team level, a personal life level, right? That as you want to build this bigger outer game or take on more or, you know, enjoy, I'm all for an ambition for a full life. Then we have to say, does ambition and capability and infrastructure match? And so really that process chapter is to highlight like 
let's really realize those dreams and those goals and those big priorities. And we've got to make sure process and infrastructure are in place. How do we set up our calendar? What are we blocking on the calendar? You know, how do you color code? Tell us a little bit more about the people P. You know, why did you put that in? Give us your thoughts on that one. The people piece just, it's so interesting. There's a point in all of our work journeys where I think we realize not enough hours in the day. We each have a capacity limit. So no matter how hard of a player you are, how fast you are, even those who have incredible bias for action and can get a lot done, you will cap out. And the nature of work today, especially in organizations, there are so many interdependencies across functions. To get anything, a big goal or vision requires a village. And so to think about best self, I felt like there had to be a chapter addressing this fundamental, very important mindset shift, I think, for any professional or leader that really you raise your game as we all rise together. I love that chapter. And I love your piece on cadence because, you know, sometimes some leaders don't do that very well. They, they don't set the direction. People don't know what success looks like. You know, what is a good or a great outcome? You know, there's a big difference between a good and a great outcome. Have you made that clear with your team? I love the way you've ordered them. You know, get the purpose, get the process, then get to the people. Don't start talking to the people or be your, you know, the best leader you can be. Maybe before you've kind of set some of that up so that you're in a good position before you go out and and start assessing where the people are at. I really appreciate that HBR. And I spent a lot of time actually thinking about, is there an order here? And while they all do happen, you know, what's the right way to, to walk through and think about like, if you change your role or if your purpose changes, then what has to ripple and methodically kind of follow from that to help set yourself up for success? Yeah, I loved it. It reminded me, um, I worked on a leadership development program at a bank that I worked at, and we did really think about the order. And it was different because it was frontline leaders and it was a leadership development program for them. And we did actually start with mindsets and behaviors. So there was five, you know, five principles they had to follow. We started with mindsets and behavior because we thought as a leader, you need to understand that your mindset is super critical uh, when you're leading a team. Have you got a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? What shadow are you casting? And really getting to think about that and then getting to, we used to teach them about orgs and skills, right? So, you know, skills matrix, right? Assessing where your team is at from a skills matrix perspective. Who's your customer? Getting them to understand who's your actual customer. So this is why I loved yours, because the order of of that program felt logical to me. You know, start with the mindsets, then get them to learn who their customers are, then look at the skills matrix and the skills you have in your team. So I, I just loved yours because I was like, well, this is like an advanced level of what we built uh, previously for for frontline leaders. So so love that. Now, the fourth element uh, that you've got is presence. It's defined as the ability to stay present and self-regulate even in the face of pressure, discomfort or challenge. Now, I saw, for example, there was one that I'd seen. I might have seen it in the book or I might have heard you say it on another podcast. An example would be you're in a heated debate with a colleague and you feel your temperature rising. Instead of lashing out, you find that magic pause between stimulus and response and use the choice of voice needed 
to achieve your desired outcome. I loved this. I wish I was better at this myself, but can you tell us about this very important fourth P, which is presence, if we want to be the best, I suppose, best version of ourselves as a leader each day? This P begins to to make a shift in the book. So when you think about our purpose, we address the outer things within our control, our process, our infrastructure, our capabilities as an organization or as a leader. And then we line up our people and our teams and, you know, do we have the right resources in place? Mm -hmm. But really, leadership also becomes an inner game. Yes. And so here, if we come back to leader A and leader B, the question is, what's our center of gravity at any moment? Are we grounded? And because leadership, I often say to leaders, you know, you're doing your job well, if you've had three difficult conversations today and three really hard decisions that were not black and white, like that is actually part of the job. And so as a result, you know, part of the essential best self is, can I in the face of a job that is going to just have a ton of tough conversations and tough decisions actually stay grounded and really a distinction between am I our right versus what is right. And so the presence chapter is reminding us to say, of course, we have to take care of ourselves if we're not feeling great. But in the end, our mandate is still to make the best decision for the organization or for our team. So we have to have presence of mind. We have to be present with ourselves in the moment. We have to know that there is a magic pause when we are present in order to find that right choice path. I love that one. And then finally, you have the fifth element is peace. Now, this one, I think um, for me, peace gets easier with age. I don't know if you agree with that, but I think uh, it does. But now peace here being a determinant of the level of satisfaction, ease and resilience with which you lead. Now, this focuses on increasing the ability to loosen our grip of control, perfection or ego, a critical uh, step, you say, towards becoming a leader truly in service of something beyond just your own success. Now, tell us a little more on why you added this one in. I was very much taken aback when I first read this chapter, but it actually became one of the important lessons I really took away from the book. This is probably my own personal favorite chapter and something I probably am wrestling with myself, uh, truth be told, and where I see a lot of my leaders struggling. There's a point where I think we can do as many productivity hacks and as many efficiencies and tips and tricks. And I've, again, had the great fortune of working with a lot of really successful people and just hit a point where I realized, are any of us happy are we satisfied with life? Where does meaning come from? If we're working so hard, and, and I think this is why I'm so drawn to your podcast, that when work is better, life is better. And so how is it that there's so many of us working hard, meaning to do well, trying to make a great impact, and yet the internal landscape is filled with turmoil? Um, and so what does peace? What does coming to peace mean? Sometimes that's actually uh, accepting that discomfort is part of the leadership game. So coming mm -hmm. to peace with that, I should be uncomfortable part of the day and that's okay. So that chapter was really dedicated to at the end of the day, you know, who is the leader I want to be? What's the life I'm constructing? And how do I hold uh, this 
tapestry of life, which has joy and sorrow and wins and setbacks. And, you know, how do I hold and respond to myself with far more compassion and kindness? I've been struck by how kind we can be to others. And when I'm working with leaders and professionals and I say, tell me what you're saying to yourself, you know, we're really unkind to ourselves. And that chapter was really trying to address, it's okay to loosen the grip. There's nothing left to prove. And so what's it mean to, you know, now celebrate and enjoy the work that we do? I loved it. You know, you can have an ego sometimes and go, okay, I I want to get more senior. I want more. And then you go, well, what does it actually give you? I remember when I left one job, I was sad to leave, but I knew in my heart it was time to do something different. And I remember someone saying to me, why would you leave now? You're going to have to start all over again. You've got a great name here. And I remember just thinking, no, you know, I'm at peace with this decision because my gut is telling me there's a different life for me out there. And and I actually ended up moving to Australia and having an amazing, like, you know, I've had amazing life uh, there and loved it. And now I'm doing a podcast. And I think all these things come from sometimes making a decision where you go let go of maybe the ego. Sometimes I think we think we want to get to managing director or partner and and all of these things, but actually, do they make you happier? I don't know. Maybe for some people, of course, they do. They love getting to those senior levels. But I think for some of us, it's asking that. What I think you do really well in the book is asking yourself that question. Is this your purpose? Is this what you want to be doing? Or are you caught up in a vicious cycle? I loved your chapter on peace. I think finding that peace for people is so important and so aligned with the first bit, which is purpose, of course. And going, I think if you are following your purpose, in some ways, you're at a little bit of peace. Yes. The two chapters in terms of being bookends to the five Ps was very intentional that, you know, there's nothing wrong with ambition for seniority. Part of growth is coming into our power and understanding what that is in an external environment and within ourselves. That's all very real. But then I do think there's this question of what is your motivation source? And at least be clear with yourself. And I think, Cathal, you said the perfect word. It's about alignment to yourself in any given moment or age and stage. So if you're clear on, I'm in career building mode, I want to create wealth and resource, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it's coming at a sacrifice or an expense of something else or another part of yourself, that's worth looking at to say, how do I drive for greater alignment? How do I hold the paradox, I think, of life, which is I have incredible agency to be deliberate towards a North Star and set up my people and my process and, you know, all my own practices to make that happen. And there's just a ton of life that's out of our control. And so how do I also hold that I can be deliberate, but also ride the wave as those things come? And so I think that's why those last two Ps of presence and peace. You know, the first two are like, hey, let's be as deliberate as we possibly can around process and people and resource. And let me try to help offer every tool for you to get what you want. And guess what? Life, other people, circumstance, our health, there's so many unknowns. And so the final two Ps say, then how do you navigate that with as much ease? I want to ask you this question. To what extent is leadership innate in your mind? I think to me, that's a bit of a myth. Yeah. I think all of us are leaders of our home, our communities, of work streams, 
of organizations, of teams. And so, you know, for me personally, leadership is not a title. I think it does come back to what are, think about any, anybody out there listening and think about your life. There's something that you are leading and you're the tip of the spear and you're getting the chance to make a difference. And so what is that? What's the contribution you want to make? How do you bring your best self to that? I think we're all born with a different tapestry of and collection of strengths and talents. And so we do need to feel into, hey, the clock is not at zero. Do you have a disciplined way of understanding your own platform, your own strengths, what you've done, your experiences to date? And then how do you continue to bring that to larger and larger platforms or to different arenas uh, that you're excited about? I agree with you totally. I, I think people are different leaders. As you said, you can be the leader of a household. You know, I know people that just run a great house and, you know, they're leading in that. Uh, and you've got other people who, you know, they, they maybe they're a subject matter expert on something. Now, what do you think is the smallest possible change our listener could do to have an impact and a better day at work tomorrow? I really think it's how you start your day. It just sets the tone and frequency. So if there's one thing, you know, listeners take away, I would ask everyone to pause and think about how do you start your day? Are you grabbing your phone? Are you jumping on email? And what would happen if you just added 15 minutes for yourself to take a moment, to take a deep breath, get anchored, think about what are the three things I most want to accomplish or focus on today or whatever that is. If you just reset that first 15 minutes, 30 minutes of either the start of your day or start of your work day, I've seen other leaders get huge gains for their best self, their productivity, their mindset. You know, when I, when I think about an audit of all the leaders I've worked with and asked what was like a silver bullet practice, that one is one that comes to mind. Oh, Amy, you've revealed a great tip there. And it's so exciting because, you know, for the listener, Amy has worked with some amazing people over the years. So that's a great tip. And I love what you're saying there. What are the three or four things I want to achieve today? It's even mirrored with research where when we wake up, we naturally have a higher level of cortisol. So when Mm -hmm. you see the 30 emails, suddenly the anxiety button you know, is off and running. And I think that's what, you know, kind of gets all of us then into a pitfall of doing. How do I find that anxiety button, Amy? Because I'd like to turn mine off. Right. (laughs) I know. I think we all have to befriend it and say, thank you for being there. And it, you do keep me on my toes, but I don't think I need you quite as loudly as as you want to signal your bell. (laughs) I love that. Can you recall the best advice you received that made you better at work, Amy? I think, Kathal, when I think about it, sometimes when you think of your first managers you ever had, you know, I'm now thinking back to way back 1993, I worked at Taco Bell Corp. And, you know, shout out to Drew Valero, who, you know, I hope he's doing well. I've heard through the grapevine how well he's doing. But he used to have this wonderful ritual where he would ask our team at any moment's notice to be able to come into his office and share our elevator pitch on what we were working on. And as you can imagine, as a young 22-year-old, that was the most intimidating, scary thing. And at any moment, he might yell, you know, 
out to my cube. Hey, Amy, come in here. And the truth is, it was one of the greatest gifts and pieces of advice, because I think inherent in the ritual with our team, it was saying that at any moment, someone can ask you, how are you doing? What are you working on? And it does force you to stop and think about what are the most important things I'm doing for the organization? And can I very quickly communicate that to somebody in a few headlines? And that has always stuck with me through my entire career. Wow, that is a really, uh, you know, I think I learned that much later in my career. You know, you'd hear a lot about the elevator pitch. What if you see the CEO in the lift and you'd be like, oh, my God, I've got to think about that. (laughs) Um, So it sounds like that you built that skill early in your career at home. Do you ever get asked by your husband, like, tell me what you're working on? Are you able to like quickly go boom? This is what I'm doing um, so that I can't I don't shouldn't do the washing or cleaning today because my elevator pitch is saying I'm doing this, this and this. These are more important. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I think my husband probably is like, oh, boy, I don't really need to hear that much about your work. (laughs) So I have learned through the years of just marriage to, you know, make sure that I keep that quick and efficient. But I, I do think, you know, as we walk through the world and we're getting to meet really cool people at conferences at different organizations, again, in a world where there's so much collaboration, the ability to quickly come to know another person and want to hear about them and to be able to provide information to them about yourself, I think is an important beyond, I think elevator pitch can have a connotation of, you know, self-promotion or uh, something that might feel artificial. And that's not what I'm speaking to. I think the piece of the advice that I derived was it's a busy world. Be mindful. And what are you sharing of yourself? What part Mm. of the narrative? What part of the work are you most excited about? And passion can be infectious. And so know that and know that in a concise and clear way. Thank you so much for joining us on here. It's just been fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And again, I love your podcast. I love that when we're better at work, life is better. When you know we're attending to life, they really rise in tandem. Uh, so thank you for what you're doing for the world here. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's just been fantastic. And for more information on Amy, you can follow her. I'm sure you don't mind on LinkedIn. You can see Amy through her website uh, for her company, ParibusPartners.com. And plus her amazing book, The Leader You Want to Be, Five Essential Principles for Bringing Out Your Best Self Every Day is available wherever you find good books. And I think you can hear from this conversation with Amy. She's an absolutely lovely person. And the book is just is just written in the same style as how she's talked here. It's beautiful with lots of practical tips and super friendly. I, I love this book. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. I'm joined again by the amazing, lovely, friendly, kind Annette Sloan. Annette, welcome. Thanks, Kahal. Hi, really good to be here. Delighted to have you back. Let's get right into it. So we had the amazing Amy there. I loved Amy. Tell us your three takeaways, Annette. I loved Amy too, Kahal, and really enjoying her book. The three takeaways for me, the first one was that magic pause between stimuli and response. And I found that as a really great reminder from something I've, I've worked on several years ago in a customer feedback and customer experience program around people receiving feedback from customers around that event 
plus response equals the outcomes and also reminded me of some great advice I've been living by from one of my mentors over the years, John, and his advice around it's not what happens that matters, it's how you handle it. And so those words from Amy around the magic pause and the choice of voice you have on how you respond really resonated. The second one was around that distinction when you're in a leading senior leader role around getting that distinction between am I all right versus what is right, working on that presence of mind. You're having a great day when you have three difficult conversations and make three difficult decisions. It's not going to be easy. And how do you stay stay grounded and making that distinction around those feelings? That was really good. And I think, Amy, she really lays out like, you know, really insightful and and practical frameworks because the demands of leadership today are so tough. Right. And so that that one you just mentioned is so true. Like if you've made three big decisions, had three difficult conversations, that is a great result. That is the role. It's it's not going to be easy. And, And how do you stay grounded through that? That really linked to the third insight or takeaway from me, which is around the fifth P of peace. I love the way that Amy articulates that around, you know, how to achieve peace, being deliberate, but also riding the wave and being able to hold that paradox of the agency you have and being successful and leading your team, caring for your people, your own well-being as well. And that recognition that you can do all that, but then life's going to happen. And there are going to be things that are out of our control, holding this tapestry of successes and disappointments, challenges and failures, and being able to continue to respond to yourself with kindness through that. Yes. I love that as well, Annette. And I think you and I were chatting about that even after the interview on the day. And she just, she takes a very holistic approach, doesn't she, to, to leadership and bring your best self to it. And I love that final one you mentioned around peace. They were fantastic, Annette. I think three great takeaways there. The only thing I would add is I love her section on the pitfalls of doing what gets in your way. I thought that was really interesting because, you know, we all get into the pitfall of doing, say, when it's a stressful time, you know, and we add to that vicious cycle then of just doing more and more and more and adding to our stress levels. And I think, you know, uh, for me, the other big thing was the power of process, you know, really making sure that you've got good processes set up so that if you have a purpose as a leader that you want to get to, that you've got the processes set up around you. You look at your calendar, you make sure that you are devoting time to the things that are your purpose. Now, Annette, it's time for our listeners question. And I'll hand over to you because you've got a question this week. Thanks, Kahal. Yes, we've had an email in from Amanda. And Amanda has said, I've just taken a new job in an organization I've worked at for 15 years. And it's a promotion. I'm two weeks in and my boss called me at seven o'clock last night and kept me on the phone for two hours. And during that call, yelled at me in regard to an email I sent to them on my observations on where the program is at and what we need to do to get things back on track. I'm worried we're misleading very senior management by not sharing all the facts on where we're at. I need my job. I love this company, but I know I'm being bullied already. What should I do? What do you think, Kahal? 
my thoughts are that, you know, she's going to have to set some boundaries here pretty quickly because she's just got this new role. And if it's starting like this, this is not a good sign. So I think she's going to have to explain the situation to her boss, how it made her feel. I agree, Kahal. Set the boundaries. And if she does feel okay to do that, say I want to share how that call made me feel and how I'd like us to approach this differently in the future. So depending on how that goes, I think, you know, there are choices here. There is look for another job and get out if if you can't stay there. Maybe talk to her prior manager if she had a good relationship there and get some advice about maybe moving back. If that can't happen, I think, you know, in the short term, there's that balance of giving it a good go around persevering and prevailing and how does she detach and almost distance herself from opportunities for this dysfunctional behavior so she can get into an opportunity to actually you know, use the reporting and the governance and the processes to solve the problems. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think in this particular case, you know, uh, that's really good advice in it. She does have those three options. You know, when I read this email and saw the word that she said bullying, I think that absolutely is a concern. If she feels she's been bullied already, she probably also needs to just track this and write some notes down on her interactions with this particular boss. But my sense is that she's come in, she's, you know, it's very new into the role. My advice would be definitely she needs to have a conversation. She needs to um, think about setting these boundaries. She needs to ask that person why was what she did so bad or what was wrong with it? What would they have done differently? And then I think articulate what she might like to see in terms of their relationship going forward. But she's got to protect herself as well, because if she's feeling bullied, that's a really bad start. And she needs to start tracking this. She needs to make her file notes, which is essentially just, you know, writing herself an email on all of her interactions with this person where she goes at 2.15, had a discussion with my boss. Uh, they shouted at me and they said that this, this and this, just keeping an audit of it in case that it was to get more serious. And it will help get it out of her head as well to go, am I, you know, what, what, what's happening here? Well, Amanda, we hope that helps. And Amanda, if you want to follow up with us separately, ask further on the advice we've given, we are more than happy to help. Annette, thank you so much. Lovely to have you back on this episode. And, uh, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me, Kahal. Lots of fun and really, really getting a lot from helping people with Better at Work. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.